welcome to Slideload, the technology podcast from Edelman, London. I'm Jermaine Dallas and today we are asking what do you do when someone hacks into your company's IT system and steals your data? or at very least threatens the privacy of your business and your customers. Uh, it's a technical challenge, but there's also a comms aspect as well, because once you become a victim of a data breach, the next steps that you take will be crucial in how your company is perceived. So uh, with me in our cosy little podcast bunker are three of our experts here at Edelman. Uh, first of all, Nick Barron is the MD of Edelman's corporate reputation practice. Uh, before Edelman, Nick led comms for the FA for eight years, so he's more than familiar with what a crisis looks like. Uh, speaking of which, uh, Duncan Gallagher is in charge of our European crisis practice. Um, he's advised on everything, including including redundancies, product recalls and major crimes all in a day's work. And uh, Caroline Giroux is one of the managers working with our technology specialist. Uh, she's a lawyer by background, but she's followed security issues in both our Brussels and London offices. So Nick, Duncan and Caroline, thank you so much for joining us today. So first of all then, uh, the UK government has been targeted recently and uh, news came out the other day as well that two in five retailers experienced a data breach in the last year. So is this a time for businesses to be running scared? I think, I think all businesses, this is on their agenda now and we are seeing more and more of our clients discussing this with us. Um, there is a high awareness of the importance of protecting your data and also uh, protecting your reputation following a data breach. But recent uh, news, and there was a survey that, that came out recently, said that still a number of businesses are not just actually going through the practic practical preparedness side of preparing for a data breach. And I think that's where businesses now need to be focusing. Um, like all good things, it's like a fire drill. The more you practice for these things, uh, the better prepared you are. Uh, and there is within the UK, um, I still believe, uh, an urgency for businesses to really test their processes, ensure they are ready for uh, a cyber breach, and more importantly, test they have the infrastructure uh, in place to manage uh, a breach once it has occurred. Because I think in the world we live in now, it's not a case of uh, if you are going to suffer uh, a breach, uh, it's when it's going to happen. Nick, anything to add on that? One thing we always advise our, our clients is not to overclaim about these kinds of issues. When, uh, when you've once you've dealt with the the issue at hand, do, uh, obviously you need to show that you are um, taking cyber risk seriously. Um, but you should never um, uh, pretend that you've ha you've solved the, solved the problem that your your company or your data is uh, is one hundred percent protected. Firstly, uh, it's not credible. Uh, no business, country, or individual is, is entirely safe from cyber risk. Uh, secondly, um, it's uh, a red rag to a bull in terms of the hackers. And thirdly, um, it's table stakes. You know, looking after a, um, a customer's data uh, is what is expected of a business. It's not a, it's not a, it's not a USP. Um, it's not a, a sort of virtue to be crowed about. It's um, it, it's it's a table stakes for a, for a properly functioning business. So yes, you must show you're taking the issue seriously, um, uh, and you must talk to your customers and to your employees um, about what you're doing uh, to protect their data. And I think that as as Duncan said, I mean, just hope for the best, prepare for the worst, really. Um, and make sure that you've asked yourself the right questions. Do we have the right policies in place? Do we know what's going to happen? Do we know what to do if there is an actual breach or when there is an actual breach? And I think that what we've seen, like the upside of the recent kind of wanna cry and Petya stories is that it's been really front and center in the media and there's just no way around it and you just 
have to make sure that you just have to realize that there's just going to be increased scrutiny um, and it's not going away. Cool. So there's a lot of scrutiny, uh, a lot of eyes on people's businesses at the moment. So what is at stake for the businesses who fall victim to these sort of data breaches? I think that there's two two areas uh, that we see and I think have now been proven is that, uh, as Nick said earlier, is actually retaining trust. Um, we we live in a data-driven world uh, and as Nick said it's at table stakes that you as a business will protect my data uh, and respond and look after it and make sure it is secure um, so I think losing the trust of your of your customers uh, whether they be consumers or business to business or governments uh, whoever your key stakeholder customers are losing that trust is one of the, the biggest things I'd, I'd just add one other thing in terms of, sort of broader reputational impact of um of a, of a data breach or a cyber problem uh, and that's what it says about the broader business and how it how it is run whether it takes in you know whether it's investing properly uh, whether it's um, choosing its priorities properly I mean British Airways for example when its uh, system sort of fell over um, on you know uh, at a key key uh, holiday weekend um, the damage to British Airways at that time was not just the immediate damage in terms of its relationships with the customers, but in terms of the narrative that it, it supported about British Airways was that it had taken its eye off the ball, that it had old systems, that it wasn't investing properly, uh, and that it didn't appreciate the importance that um, uh, data and di digital transformation is, is having on, their, on its industry, and it wasn't, it, it wasn't making the right call. So that's the, that's the broader reputational impact of a... Of a, of a Cyber cyber threat, which is the um, you know, the story it tells about the the broader business and how well run it is. We can probably list a very very long list now of all the recent breaches that have taken place. What can we learn from when these breaches take place? I think one of the things that we're seeing is is that um, is actually the media uh, interest in these breaches is very interesting to observe. Um, and we are finding more and more advice that we are giving customers obviously, and our clients is that obviously the media are a key stakeholder, but they shouldn't be the only focus. Uh, there, as you said, the, the, we can all name the high profile breaches, but we know from our work that our breaches are occurring on an hourly basis to a lot of well-known brands, uh, which aren't generating any media pickup, but that doesn't mean they are not damaging the reputation of that organization. Um, in terms of how they have an impact, as I've said earlier, on their regulators, on their customers, uh, working with their suppliers, in particular working with staff uh, and internally. And I think this is one area that we see more and more is that if, if an organization suffers a breach, one of the most impacted audiences is actually going to be staff because there is a very good chance that HR, personnel, records, medical records that companies hold on their staff are gonna be impacted on this and also we find a lot of staff are customers uh, of the companies that have been breached, so their data has been caught up in this. Um, so what we are seeing now is is actually, while media is really key, if you want to protect your reputation following a breach, you've really got to focus on these other stakeholders and put a lot more effort into that. Um, having a reactive statement and Q&As ready for a media call is important, but it shouldn't be your main focus if you um, do suffer a breach in the market we're in at the moment. It's an interesting one to, to think about because all, a lot of the time you think of the external relationships when you, when you talk about data breaches, but internally as well I imagine there is a lot of concern and I, I know we're going to talk a bit 
later on about uh, the implications of this sort of thing. But um, is there anything else that we can learn from data breaches? I would, sorry, just to jump in, the only thing I would add, which is we, we're seeing this, is um, one of the things you can learn from it is the amount of time it takes to manage a breach. Uh, so I've worked with some businesses recently where it's probably taken us a month uh, with the senior management time to from being notified of the breach to develop their response to notify their key stakeholders to follow up with those key stakeholders to work with the regulator uh, even work with the emergencies law enforcement just to sort of the follow-up that's probably about a month's worth of time of senior management time that's maybe taken up in conference calls meetings you know five days a week sometimes seven days a week three four times a day as a result that has a direct impact uh, on that business's uh, own business plan moving forward uh, and I've had clients anecdotally say to me that sort of a one month of breach management uh, can put them up to six months behind on their business plan because their senior team is not focused uh, on running the business and that goes back to the opening point of this podcast is that this is where preparation is so important because if you have those structures in place if you've been well rehearsed if you've been drilled you can actually reduce the amount of senior management time that is spent on managing the breach so you can return to business as usual as quickly as possible because you may be able to clean up the breach and deal with it relatively quickly but the long-term implications for your business uh, are quite severe if you don't manage that area properly. Uh, no, I think it is really important to to realize that cybersecurity should not be an afterthought and you really need to be able to pull in your um, your CISO, your Chief Information uh, Security Officer, as soon as possible, because that's that's the issue. Often you see that um, the C-suites and the boards will only kind of find out about breach very late uh, in the process, and just need to make sure that you really give one way or another uh, a seat at the table to someone who's really kind of be who can be the champion for cybersecurity within a firm and to really make sure that very early on they're able to kind of prepare for anything that might happen. So let me ask this question then. So your company has been breached. So what do you do in the aftermath, in the immediate aftermath? So I think that the first area is, is actually you've really got to focus on two areas. One is roles and responsibilities uh, within internally within the company. Who is actually going to own what? You're obviously going to have a big focus on your IT systems, uh, so make sure you've got the right partners in place and the right support for the IT team. And they need to be able to get on with their job and to be able to focus on that. So making sure, firstly, making sure that that team is well resourced, they have the focus, but also having one point of contact. Um, we find that when we work with clients is that they've had a breach but it, it takes an awful long time to work out what has been impacted uh, because we all hold so many, so much data in so many formats, it's really hard to try and work out what you've actually, um, what's been impacted. So the first thing to do is, is to establish that IT team, but then make sure it has one clear person that is reporting back to the wider management team of the breach. And then that management team needs to be pulled together quite quickly. And it needs to be consist of the key players you need in it. So you need to have legal there. Uh, you need to have HR there. You need to obviously have comms in there. You need somebody from finance, but then you need someone to lead the team. Um, and then once that team is established, you then need to put a case an operating rhythm. You know, when are we gonna meet? How often are we gonna meet? What's gonna be our agenda so it's not a free-for-all? Who's actually gonna run, run the meeting? And, and we're a great believer in the sort of phrase, a, a benign dictatorship, because sometimes some key decisions have to be made without all of the information to hand. 
you won't know how much data is impacted, you won't know who your customers are, but you're going to have to make some key decisions, especially with GDPR coming in next year. You know, you've got tight timelines on um, notification, uh, 72 hours basically. So someone at some point is going to have to make a decision that is the IT team are probably not going to be able to give you all of the information you want, uh, but you're going to have to make a call on how you're going to notify, who you're going to notify. Once that team is established, it's then going back to identifying who your key stakeholders are. Who is impacted by this? What are their main concerns? And more importantly, what are they expecting you to do? And then from that, you can start to develop the work streams you need to manage the breach. But I think that all needs to be decided. And as you can tell, that's an awful lot to work out in the heat of the moment. So it goes back to the original point. You have to be prepared for this. You have to know who these people are. You have to know who their deputies are because you're not all going to be in the same place at the same time. So if you can get that done, uh, you will work through the breach in a much more calm, efficient manner. You mentioned uh, creating a sort of a, a management team to deal with this, and uh, Caroline, you also mentioned the importance of getting the, the CISO on board. But who leads this team? We have a view on this that actually it shouldn't automatically be the most senior person in the business. Uh, I have a view that it actually should be the person that is least impacted by the breach because they are the ones that are going to have the headspace to be able to lead that team. Because say, for example, you are a listed company uh, and you've got shareholders and investors, there's a very good chance the CEO is going to have to spend a lot of time dealing with them. If you are publicly regulated, you could end up being called into uh, your regulators, government, etc., etc., etc. You're going to be very busy on that. So actually having someone to lead this who maybe has more time and freedom and their operation within the businesses has not been impacted as directly um, uh, as other parts of the business is who we would suggest to lead it. But it's someone who has authority, somebody who has budgetary authority, somebody who knows the business, but also someone who is not afraid to make a decision. And that goes back to training. You know, when we run simulations for clients, for example, we do exactly that. We put people in these situations to see who is prepared to make a decision when there is a lot of ambiguity around, when there is not a lot of information available. Um, that's the person you want to be leading you at times like this. Uh, that's all best practice. And that all sounds great, but um, how many companies are actually putting these sorts of measures in place to make sure that they do have a head start if a breach does happen? Well, I mean, it sounds as though not very many of them as a proportion <laughs> of the UK. Uh, so um, Duncan alluded to it earlier on, but there was a study out um, over the weekend which uh, showed that the majority of FTSE 350 companies, ha uh, executives on the boards of those companies, had not um, ever received any training about cyber risk. So it's still, despite the fact that, you know, every day, um, you know, Duncan gets a new inquiry from a, a company looking to address these kinds of issues, it sounds like we still have a, a very long way to go. Uh, and the number of companies that uh, get caught completely on the hop, um, those that tend to be the ones that do make the news, um, is still very high. Well, um, we're going to discuss a bit more about the comms element of a data breach. But first, let's quickly jump into the time machine and have a listen back to what the last episode of Sideload sounded like. I think often and largely, you know, because of uh, Silicon Valley and the media and all the kind of success that we've had and, uh, in the past, you know, five, ten years, certainly, um, there's been a kind of underlying sense and culture of chasing um, ever-increasing valuations, ever-increasing funding, um, being as big as possible. And I think, you know, there's there's, always, there's almost this tipping point right now, which we're seeing where people are beginning to realise that actually you need a solid business to really scale and meet the promise that you're trying to make. And I think being really clear that, um, you know, there are brands out there, um, mainly in 
B2C, uh, as Becky says, where um, you know if you have too much hype and you don't get that promise, there is a backlash and media does tend to latch on that onto that very quickly. Hello, you're listening to Sideload and today we're talking about what happens when a data breach occurs and I'm here with Nick Barron, Duncan Gallagher and Caroline Giroux who deal with this on a daily basis. So let's get to the heart of the matter then. Uh, Data is the crown jewels that many hackers are after. So how can businesses prevent criminals from gaining access? I think the days, and the, you know, some of our clients who work in this field will agree with this, is that the days of making your system 100% secure from hackers are past now. Um, y- your software and the software companies have done a huge amount in protecting clients, but unfortunately the weakest link in all organisations uh, is the human element. Most breaches take past because of uh, social engineering, whether that could be someone clicks on an email, a phishing email, picks up a, uh, a flash drive and puts it into their machine. We know of circumstances where people uh, have just walked into the office and uh, they've just walked around and, and put a little USB in the back of a laptop or computer they've seen on a desk and that's given them access. Through to I feel one like of seen that with a film, has that actually happened? It happens an awful <laughs> lot. If you look at a modern office, if you look at how many guests walk around the office and they say, oh, you know, if we were to walk in, you look relatively smart, you say, oh, I'm just going to get to the bathroom while I wait for a meeting, you could walk past a whole, how many computers would you walk past in most offices hmm. where you just drop a USB drive in? That's a very common one. But the most common way um, is free Wi-Fi. Uh, especially with senior execs who are traveling. They're at the airport, they're at a cafe, they see a free Wi-Fi, they can log on to check their emails, uh, and someone is there is just using it to suck the information out. So I think to answer your question in terms of protecting it, it's actually education. And of course that's when it comes back to communications again, you know, given that it's, it's the human networks that are the most vulnerable, um, you know, smart companies put in place employee engagement programs which, which don't just deliver the training but make um, safety and security part of the culture of, of running a business uh, and make everyone understand their role in keeping uh, keeping their own and their customers data secure um, and of course when people do leave I mean another another aspect of risk is, is disgruntled ex-employees um, uh, you know ma- making sure that um, that those those cases are, are handled properly and that um, companies don't leave themselves vulnerable as an employee leaves the building yeah, yeah and to Nick's point I think that's there is a real education issue here, but also I think it's not just about, uh, you know, checking a box of, yeah, we did this, you know, a yearly kind of cybersecurity training that everyone takes for 20 minutes on their laptop and literally just click next at every single slide. I think we really need to make sure that it's part of a broader employee engagement, as Nick, uh, as Nick was saying, uh, exercise, to really make sure that people actually realize the amount of data they're, they're um, processing and, and, um, and using every single day and the risks associated with that, because they really need to, to understand what this means from a, on a day-to-day basis. While I'm with you, uh, Caroline, uh, we, we've mentioned GDPR a couple of times. So could you just explain what, what it is? Because it's, it's going to have a really big impact on how we deal with data protection, isn't it? It is, it is. I think we've, we've heard a lot about GDPR in the na- last few years. Um, it's funny because I've been in Brussels for the past five and GDPR was a talk of the town for about five years. And that's when you realize it's finally hitting the actual, you know, capitals. And people are now uh, kind of in panic mode, obviously, because they, they know it's coming, but they don't really know what it is. 
it's basically just an update of current data protection rules. Um, it's much more extensive than the current rules in place, and it's obviously uh, it um, impacts the way you collect and the way you manage data, the way you transfer data uh, in different countries, whether it's within the European Union or beyond, let's say the United States, for example, it's a common example. Um, and it's, it's a huge kind of, um, it's gonna be a huge change, but then again, I think that it's just about good housekeeping in a sense. Um, in terms of data breaches, uh, there's gonna be a big change. Um, there's going to be clear rules about who to notify and when. So when do you notify the regulators? When do you notify your customers? And really the risks of sanctions if you do not um, uh, respect these rules. You're not going to be automatically sanctioned if, you, you're, if you're the object of a data breach because simply regulators do know it's going to happen. It's about how you deal with it and make sure that you're really aware of um, the new obligations that you're going to have as of next next May, May 2018, and make sure that you have the right processes in place that so that you're compliant when the time comes and when you're actually but, breached. But there are big fines that's going to be handed out as part of this, aren't they? It could be. It could. It could be absolutely massive. Uh, the worst case scenario, it could be up to 4% of your global annual turnover. That's huge. So that's absolutely massive. Obviously, there's different degrees of sanctions, uh, depending on the degrees of gravity of the actual uh, data breach um, and the actual case-by-case basis, of course, but it could be huge. Um, Duncan, how should companies approach this whole area of, um, of GDPR? It's, it's interesting, We again, it's what we've been talking about it's down to the preparation side uh, I've worked with a couple of companies recently who have suffered breaches and they've actually responded as if GDPR was in place uh, and that has been a good way of testing their systems and actually if you have the processes in place that we've talked about today and you've fought it through you can be compliant with it um, we have seen uh, so for example the information commissioner's office here in the UK um, are a really good resource uh, and supportive. Uh, they are looking to forge closer links with businesses uh, and they can really help organizations get through this and uh, we have strong relationships with them um, because they are good, because they are looking to British business to actually um, support and su- su- um, share information out there so that we can all respond better to this ever increasing uh, threat. So I think GDPR is an opportunity for organizations. I think it will crystallize their thinking Uh, I think it will focus their attentions in the right place. It will bring to light all the things that we've been talking about today. Um, And as someone, you know, a lot of us work in uh, multinational, multi-jurisdictions regions, it's going to bring consistency. Uh, It's just worth mentioning, uh, the ICO have made it very, very clear that they are gonna fully adopt GDPR and there is even talk about them even strengthening it for the UK to actually sort of make it even more uh, rigorous and uh, robust. and um, there is even uh, conversations being had about actually uh, the IOC awarding sort of a, a kite mark standard for organisations that actually they feel are GDPR compliant um, and have got best practice in place. And I think that is an area that uh, for businesses they should be looking at. You know, how can they demonstrate that uh, as well as understanding it and as, as Nick has said earlier that they absolutely take the protection of data seriously. Um, they've been recognised for that uh, and they are a trusted organisation for you to share your data with. So even post-Brexit, companies that are in Britain should in still... Europe. 
Yeah. In Europe, yeah. If you if you process or hold data that passes through Europe, you have to be compliant. There has been some random stories of companies who are UK based saying, "Are oh, we going to hold all our data in servers outside of uh, Europe? We're going to move them to wherever." No, if you operate and data passes through Europe, you are you have to be compliant. And absolutely, the UK government is 100% behind GDPR. And as I said, there's a good chance they may even look to strengthen the rules on it as well. And even aside from you know from GDPR, the direction of travel for regular regulation around data is 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 towards giving the individual more more power and control over 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 what companies hold about them. Uh, and I think that's why we've got to differentiate from a from a reputational point of view. We need to differentiate between security, which is table stakes, and responsible use of data, which is absolutely um, potentially a much more powerful differentiator for businesses. The thing is, uh, Nick, it is a lot of breaches go unreported at the moment, and GDPR is going to make it mandatory to report more. So. Um, it's likely that we're going to see an increase in the number of breaches being revealed. So what kind of environment is that going to create? The transparency, I think, is probably a good thing. It shows the scale of the problem. Uh, people don't expect companies to be perfect. That's true of data security as, it, as much as true of sustainability or any other sort of uh, aspect of responsibility. But they do expect companies to be trying to do the right thing, to be seeking the best solutions, to be uh, trying to develop the right answers. So as long as companies can say that um, that they are um, putting in place kind of you know everything that would be reasonably expected of them, uh, then that then their trust in that brand should not be uh, overly damaged by the revelation that they've been subject to a breach. And, and just just to, on the clarify that point, there is no there is no automatic if you report a breach through GDPR, uh, it doesn't automatically mean that it's going to become public. Um, you have to report it uh, to the authorities who will make an assessment based on the level of risk. Uh, could it impact the people that data you've held? And also, but more importantly, they are going to make an assessment on how well you are handling the breach. So how good are your communication processes for talking to your customers? Uh, are you learning from this? What IT systems you put in place? So just because you've notified, that doesn't automatically mean that it's become a public story. Um, and you can minimise the impact of uh, your notification by demonstrating uh, that you have got all the right systems in place and you are managing it correctly. Um, and we have seen that. We've worked on a number of breaches recently where we have notified, as per GDPR, to the IOC here in the UK, for example. And the IOC have written back and said, thank you for notifying us. Uh, we are aware of it, but we are not going to take any further action or investigation into what has happened. Uh, and therefore, for them, the, the case is closed. They will ask for updates if they want, uh, but they will allow you just to get on with managing it. So notification doesn't automatically mean um, public awareness. For sure. What's the IOC, by the way? Oh, Information Commissioner's Office, sorry. Let me ask this. So after a breach, I imagine, and this, I think this was one for you, uh, uh, Nick, after a breach, I imagine it's, it's quite a frantic environment uh, internally at the company. So um, is it possible to take a measured approach and communicate in a way that doesn't make the situation worse? Uh, yeah, well, certainly, I mean, this is the sort of thing that um, Duncan will be helping clients with. It's not just about the immediate aftermath, but that sort of uh, uh, runway that, that follows. I, I think don't over-communicate. That, that is the key. Customers and employees first. Media very much uh, secondary consideration. Um, as, a, as I said earlier on, don't don't um, uh, don't trumpet uh, the, the the things that you've done to address the problem. Make sure you've got a, a very solid 
uh, answer when someone wants to know what you've done to um, prevent such a t uh, attacks happening in future. Um, but really, uh, talk about um, talk about uh, your talk talk to your customers and to your employees first, and don't and don't over communicate with the media. That's the that's the key thing in terms of managing the issue around the breach. As I say, in terms of seeking to build a reputation around uh, you know data. Then it's about responsible use. That's really where the, where companies can really differentiate themselves from their competitors. They're less uh, uh, less conscientious competitors in terms of how they look after their customers' data, how they use it, how they and importantly how they choose not to use it. What are the next steps? How do you repair your rep your reputation after a breach? The amount of repair work you need to do is going to be defined by how you handle the breach in the first place. Yes. Um, that's the fundamental part of it. We've worked and we've worked with and we have seen many organisations who have suffered what in paper should be catastrophic breaches. But because they've been able to demonstrate that they handled the breach really well, um, they were honest, they were transparent, they communicated as Nick said in an appropriate way, they didn't over communicate, they didn't over promise. Um, I think the favourite line that we get frustrated with is, is when companies come out and say we take the security of your data, uh, you know, it's our number one priority and of course anybody's reaction to that is well it can't be that high a priority if you've um, just managed to lose two and a half million credit card records or whatever. So I think those organisations has been proven is that how you react and respond to the breach, to your impact. Equally we have seen organisations that actually in the grand scheme of things the data they have lost uh, or has been impacted. Um, is relatively small, um, but because they handled it so badly, you know, by not having customer service lines in place, by not responding to inquiries, by not, uh, you know, dealing with questions, genuine questions that were coming to how they dealt with the regulators, had a real long-term impact on their reputation. Uh, making claims at the outset of the break, uh, outset of the breach about you know what caused this and why it's not their fault, um, playing the victim card does a lot of long-term damage to um, to businesses. So I think all of these things do it, and I think Nick can probably talk more to this, is then what you're basically coming back to is the world of trust. You know, How do you rebuild trust in your organization after you have an event? And I don't think it matters to a certain extent whether it's a cyber breach or you've had a product recall or a product failure. It's all about rebuilding trust, which is sort of an area that Nick builds yeah. on quite a lot. Well, speaking of trust, I mean, so the Edelman Trust Barometer, one of the, the key conclusions is we shouldn't look at data data breaches as being anything other than a crisis. So, you know, crisis, the principles of crisis management as taught to us by the Edelman Trust Barometer are number one, that your your CEO needs to take a leading role in, in the, this issue. People don't trust CEOs very much, uh, but what they do expect of a CEO um, is to stand up when something has gone wrong. And so if a, if, a, if a significant cyber breach has happened, this is a, a C-suite challenge. This is not something to leave to um, a comms person or a... Um, or even the CIO, this is really something as chief executives to stand up and, and, and be accounted for. Um, uh, I, I, you know, and the other thing is, it's the it's the cover up that kills you. Don't try and uh, don't try and cover up what has happened. Be 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 honest and open, as Duncan has already said. And also, don't make any guesses. Uh, don't leave yourself vulnerable to future uh, criticism by um, by guessing at what the impact might have been. We've seen on a few occasions companies have come out, they've given interviews before they've really understood the scale of the problem. Um, and that's left them vulnerable to criticism later on. They've had to either uh, look like they don't have any answers, uh, which is not very reassuring uh, to their customers, or they've had to start guessing about the scale of the problem, in which case they've been uh, found out later on. So, um, CEO has to stand up and be counted for uh, stand up and be counted when something like this happens. Uh, but equally, um, you know, stick to the facts. Um, don't speculate and, and don't over.
Nick Duncan, Caroline, thank you so much for joining us on the show. And thank you for listening to this episode of Sideload. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast uh, to get every episode straight after it is released. Thanks and see you next time. Oh, 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 oh,